1: What's going on guys? Welcome to another episode of Bro History. It's Henry Zamota and Danny Abdeljabar. What's up Danny? Chilling man as per usual. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty pretty well. Um, is there a thing on in your background just by any chance? Quick, quick technical question before we start? Mm, no I've
0: already unplugged everything. The thing that you might be hearing would be the computer working overhaul because I am both recording, and broadcasting at the same time.
1: I gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, just a heads up for everyone listening, you're probably going to hear a bit more reverb than usual because um, I'm recording outside of where I usually record in an undis- undisclosed uh, location. So um, I apologize for that in advance. We'll try but our best to edit all, it out
0: and post, but you know. Yeah,
1: all, all technical issues aside, um, I guess this is a... Well, it's a pretty somber day uh, for both of us as, you know, I'm sure not just for people who are native to the New York area, but, um, you know, a lot of people across the country. Oddly enough, this, this show is uh, is being released on 9-11, the anniversary of 9-11, which, um, you know, I didn't even realize until a couple of days ago, until about five days ago or so, um, that we would have an episode that would land on 9-11. Um, and I felt like we should spend some time reflecting on uh, what are the events that really led to everything um, that, that tragically happened. And mm-hmm. it's one of those questions that I know I, I have to ask you because I think everyone asks you, everyone has that question uh, for, you know, people at in older generations. it's like, where were you when Kennedy was shot? where oh, were we you pearl harbor happened yeah where were you mm. when pearl harbor happened Uh where were you when you heard of 9 11 or when you 9 11 when happened
0: i was in school man i was
1: in well yeah I, we were both I wanna in school. S- yeah
0: i want to say i was in eighth grade i was in like like second period or something like that it was science class and i remember this pretty distinctly because this science teacher was a little bit creepy he's he's one of those guys that like married a former student and like wait, just what? like yeah it's it's a weird ancillary story he married a former student and wait like, wait, wait, he, wait wait that's that's the yeah. subject for that's the topic for
1: an entire yeah, it's he new was, episode mm,
0: yeah he was he was uh he, he he was the kind of people that like the cancel culture would get after pretty quickly i think to, in
1: today's age he's just creepy dude well dude that is um very very bizarre when you hear about that happening how yeah. old how old was he
0: how old? Uh, he he. I mean, I was in eighth Compared grade. Compared to everybody, the student. looked old to me. You know, like every teacher looked old to me at the time. But you know, he was definitely balding a, a bit. I mean, that means nothing because like you know, people like fucking twenty years old could be. What balding was
1: the grade. age difference between the teacher and I and don't the know. Student.
0: I don't know. We didn't know anything about his wife. All we knew was that he definitely married a former student, and he was teaching middle school. So like, what does that tell you? You know
1: all right um,
0: soup's weird I know super weird
1: what he he taught
0: science science right we're in a science class right and Wait, think let, about it
1: let me cut ahead. you off real quick I had a science teacher who was arrested for soliciting uh, soliciting sex from a minor ew um, but it was an FBI agent who he was speaking with
0: oh so he got like he like got honey Chris Matthew FBI, he, he, but, he got yeah, he like got Chris to Matthew. catch a to catch a predator or, not Chris Matthew what was the guy's name
1: isn't you it Chris, Matthew- Chris Hansen Chris
0: Hansen. Uh, Chris Hansen Chris Hansen Chris Matthews is the guy from fucking MSNBC um, or previously I think he got canceled um, anyway uh, so I was in the science class you know uh, and over the loudspeaker they you know had mentioned that there was like an accident uh, involving the World Trade Center uh, and that they were monitoring the situation and they would let us know I think within like 15 minutes or so, there was just like a lot of um, uh, radio chatter in the, you know, over the loudspeakers having people um, go to the offices because people were starting to pull their kids out of school. And like also, you know, I live pretty close to New York City, you know, uh, you live in New York City. So as you know, like there's, there's people who, whose parents were working in and around the area, you know, so um, it was a pretty great effect there. And I remember within like an hour or two, they had said, okay, everyone's going home. Like we're sending everybody home. They sent they sent around buses. We all went home. And I remember the first thing uh, I noticed was that, you know, I didn't we, we didn't have cable TV or anything like that or satellite. We only had the regular channels. And those TV channels were being broadcast from the World Trade Center, right? That that was the broadcast antenna. And for like a day or more uh, we didn't get any broadcast television that way at all. And I remember thinking to myself, like, damn, I can't watch anything. But uh, we cut on the radio and we were listening. And then eventually they restored service and we started seeing the pictures. Um,
1: and it was nuts. Very nuts.
2: But yeah. you, what was, I was
1: Well, I was in school as well as most people around our age should have been. Mm-hmm. And um, I was in seventh grade. I mean, it was right in the beginning of school. Mm-hmm. I, I was about to say, what month was it? Like an idiot. But yeah. Um, <laughs> what month I remember that list? I was the... So everyone in my school um, had parents who worked in Manhattan. Right. Um, I grew up in Queens. Mm-hmm. And um, I was... My mother worked in Long Island. So mm-hmm. it wasn't really concerned. Opposite direction, me. basically. yeah. The mm-hmm. opposite direction. However... Every they didn't tell us what happened while right. we were in school. Yeah. like we had no idea. They were they were shielding us from the information so no one would panic. But um, slowly, you know, one student would be taken out of class, one after another, mm-hmm. and I ended up being like one of like three students who wasn't taken home from class, who stayed was in school the entire day. Whoa! And, they 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 made you stay there. Well, yeah. I mean, oh, they it was they told us to go home. They made everybody. Leave. I had nowhere. I had really. You know, nowhere to go mm-hmm. um, so I well I could have just went home I lived in walking distance but I mean they didn't know what to do I went to I also went to Catholic school so it mm-hmm. wasn't like a universal mandate from like the Department of Education right so I left I had no idea what happened um, and then, until I saw my friend's little brother and I remember the exact street I was on um, I was on. Uh, 38th and 215th Street. And he's like, hey, did you hear that a plane hit the world, the world Trade Center? And I was like, what? So I didn't know what the hell he meant. So when I got home, I remember just you know turning on the TV and just watching it over and over and over and over and over again. It was uh, just... I I couldn't even fathom it when I was younger. And like a lot of people from New York, I knew people who died. Uh, In the World Trade Center I knew like friends parents who died Mm -hmm. my uh, my neighbor was an electrician in the World Trade Center Mm -hmm. He passed away Um, My sister's good friend her father was a firefighter who passed away Um, I just knew a lot of people who died And I went to a lot of different memorial services for it It was just like just such a bizarre uh, thing But um, it definitely led me to be become like pretty conservative growing up, like around my teenage years, like going in high school. Like I was super pro Iraq war when I was younger. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: um, I think, you know, that was one of the main reasons why I was uh, I was like that after after watching September 11th happen. But I mean, interestingly
0: enough, that's around the time when I started catching a lot of um, uh, bullying Uh, for having an Arabic last name for being of Arabic descent. Like I called a lot of names around that time, understandably so from people who either knew someone who died, you know, or, you know, were just being fed the, you know, the narrative that, you know, the Islamophobic narrative. Um, And then, you know, that's... all, all things in context, I think like I took it always in stride. It, it was never like a defining moment, you know, or like a defining series of things for me. Um, but that's definitely
1: when it started, for sure. Yeah, and um I know that must have sucked for you. I mean, even Indians, even like Sikhs, um, I mm-hmm. know there was a story about a Sikh. Yeah, they, getting, they got getting, it the worst because getting, they were they
0: aren't even Islamic and and you know, they just happen to look that way.
1: Well, because they wear turbans. Right. People can't tell the difference, right? But yeah, it was um, really just an awful time in in uh, human history and uh, in, in life, and it's um, it, it was really crazy. But you know, at the time when I was in seventh grade, I didn't really know anything about the history of that region of the world. I didn't know what Al Qaeda nope. was. The only <laughs> thing I. I knew from the Middle East about the Middle East was from my one of my favorite movies growing up which was hot shots part duo (laughs) which was a parody of rambo 2 uh with Mm -hmm. charlie sheen and And what did you learn (laughs) and i just learned that saddam hussein was like a crazy ridiculous uh dictator and Mm -hmm. he was like laughably evil and um it was just like a comedy to me i didn't know anything about international terrorism or anything like that or nor have I ever heard of international terrorism or knew anything about it whatsoever. Right. I, I don't even think Iraq... I knew
0: anything about the World Trade Center bombings at that time. I don't I don't think I was privy to that. I didn't know anything
1: either. about the World Trade Center bombings either mm-hmm. in 93. I, right. I didn't really—I knew—I um, think it's safe to say I knew nothing about the region whatsoever. And um, I sure as hell— Thought that Iraq and Iran were basically the same country just because their letters started right <laughs> similar to each other. Definitely couldn't point it out on a map. Didn't know. I didn't couldn't tell you a thing about mm-hmm. that region. Yeah, when I was younger, and I would imagine that it wasn't just us younger folks. It was it was people who were older as well because right in the grand context of media, there's always been much bigger stories um, throughout the '90s and throughout the '80s. Throughout the 70s, other than the Middle East, I mean, other than some oil embargoes and um, you know maybe the Beirut bombing right. and um, you know some some stories here and there, the Iranian Revolution Right. never has been front page news to the American public. So most people are didn't really become like every single day you're reading about the Middle East until after 9 11, which is pretty so, interesting because there were some pretty big events that happened leading up to 9-11 that would indicate that at
0: least people would have a general understanding of it. But, you know, clearly it's it's just media coverage, you know, or
1: yeah. lack thereof. It, yeah. And the, I didn't know what the difference was between Afghanistan and Iraq was. I thought they bordered each other. Um, so it was just very easy to sell people on um, a war from that perspective. And what Danny and I uh, want to do today is is uh talk about what are i guess some of the things that we wish we knew i don't know i mean kind of, i don't yeah. think we would have been able to comprehend this stuff when we were this young uh, Probably we were not young but uh, you know what we wish we more people would have known think at the time to mm-hmm. what what ultimately led to to uh, islamist terrorist groups forming within the middle east and uh ultimately a tragic terrorist attack but i mean i guess the safest place to start is is um operation cyclone right like, yeah, i think that's unless fair. you want to get back to like the the splits I mean, of like sunni Islam- islamic groups <sighs> and stuff like that in like the 18th century but no, i think no. this is gonna bore people too much but <laughs> um you know, we don't. We don't need to. We don't need to talk about which, like
0: you know, branch of Muhammad's lineage is the true one. You know. Okay. I so think I think. Relevant.
1: So just for just for time purposes, because uh, we're going to go over a lot today. So uh, the safest place to start is Operation Cyclone, and um, we've talked about this in, in a number of episodes. But Operation Cyclone was the largest CIA operation of all time and the plan was to bog the soviet union down in afghanistan by supporting islamic extremists so there was a war rambo three there was a war in afghanistan afghanistan going on in the 80s um and essentially the soviet union was trying to prop up prop up a a uh, communist government in afghanistan where and um the U.S. tried to take advantage of that by uh, funding Islamic uh, extremists. Um, they wanted to uh, give them their own Vietnam. In the words of uh, F. Uh, Brzezinski, um, this resulted in what could be compared to the as the um, it could be compared to the Spanish Civil War, when leftists across the world. You know, they all joined together to fight the nationalists in Spain, um, you know, Muslims from the Middle East to Indonesia, to the Philippines, to Uzbekistan, to Chechnya, to former Soviet bloc states, well, which were Soviet Union states, but to, uh, to Muslims of the Soviet Union, um, you know, from the Arab world, all banded together in Afghanistan to expel the, the atheist Soviets. But instead of going to Cuba to write books like Ernest Hemingway, uh, many of these fighters embarked on a global jihad after the, the ultimate um, uh, withdrawal of the Soviets. And uh, the CIA, working with Saudi Arabia, the, the Pakistani intelligence, and Afghan warlords like Gubaldeen uh, Hektamar, I can never pronounce his name, Hek Shamar, aimed at radicalizing Muslims across the world to fight the Soviets. So, for example, the U.S. Agency for International Development, they spent $51 million on textbooks (laughs) with violent images and militant Islamic teachings to Radicalize children and so to spur ridiculous. resistance into the Soviet Union. This is that's, this is that's so like, ridiculous. This is not a fake story like there was money being invested in, in um uh, in, in propaganda to you
0: propagandizing children no to propagandize
1: children uh, to to become uh, is, you know radical Islamist who would resist the Soviet Union It's really quite bizarre and essentially, what the CIA was doing, it, it was a CIA sponsored guerrilla um, training. It was CIA sponsored guerrilla training, but it was integrated with the teachings of Islam. Hmm. So, Muslims, Muslim fundamentalists uh, pre 9 11 were seen as allies for two reasons or I mean, at least in my opinion, for two reasons, Uh, because they were fierce anti-communist and they were opposed to secular nationalists like Egypt's, um, you know, Gamal Abdel Nasser or Iran's Mossadegh. So they became a natural ally.
0: Yeah, so I was just going to ask, because like uh, before we move off of that point, those two points that, you know, the fact that they were anti-communist and the fact that they were, you know opposed to these secular nationalists like what and this is something that i'm still like trying to work out myself why is it that you know the cia or american interests were opposed to secular nationalists um in places like egypt and iran at the time
1: because these these uh states wanted to have state-run industries and they didn't really want to go fall under the thumb, or many of those states didn't want to fall under the thumb of uh, what they saw as imperialism. Mm. But by the United States, you no. Know, the main, main reason the why West. they why the the West hated Nasser is because he nationalized the Suez Canal. Mm. Um, so they that makes
2: sense. They, for, so, but, for so basically, we, reason, we, some of them sided
1: in... with the Soviet Union as well, mm. um, or they aligned with the Soviet Union. I wouldn't say they uh, sided with them, but they aligned. Uh, more so the Soviet Union, but they didn't want to see a Arab state, like a large Arab state right. that had access to the uh, oil fields and the Arab Gulf and, and things like that. So, I mean, we, we have like uh, two
0: situations where like we're in a cold war against the Soviet Union. So like anyone that's against them is our, you know, enemy of my enemy is my friend in that respect. Right. So being anti-communist is super helpful. And then also being anti you know, specifically Egypt or Iran or, or places like that was helpful because of, you know, just geopolitical
1: strategy of the United States. You know, they didn't want to play ball, basically. Yeah, they didn't want to, um, you know, foster Arab nationalism because they thought that, all, that, uh, that ultimately could be a threat. And that could ultimately be a bigger threat to, uh, you know, the U.S.'s key allies in the region, which are Saudi Arabia, which is a, Monarchy, mm-hmm. and right. Israel, which is a Jewish state, so obviously mm-hmm. those two states would be um, threatened by Arab nationalism or some type of ethnic nationalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, totally. Uh, yeah, it's it's something that I was like trying to to like re- like I get it, but like I, I needed to process it in a, in a way that was easily digestible, and it was just hard to understand why we we're against that. But I guess that that does make sense. Well, a lot of them wasn't because
1: they lot. didn't play they they didn't play ball. So um if you look at the interactions between the CIA and uh Nasser who was mm-hmm. like pretty much the big I mean that was the biggest Arab state with the you know with the uh most high profile Arab nationalist in charge. They, they tried bribing him but um Nasser didn't really from what I've read Nasser wasn't He didn't bite. (laughs) He didn't really bite on a lot of the bribes that were coming his way. And Mm -hmm. he was more focused on, you know, running state and having state run economies, which I think, you know, would create other problems. However, he didn't want to. He was an ideologue, I think, in that respect, as far as creating this Arab state, Mm -hmm. um, which they ultimately tried to do with Syria and it didn't work out. Now. Saudi Arabia was also involved heavily involved in this operation Um, For example when it came to the Arab fighters coming to fight uh, Robert Gates who became the director of the CIA in 91 um, He said that you know, we tried to He said that he tried they tried to bridge a gap or create like an international brigade but nothing really worked out, but that actually wasn't really the case. The CIA was intimately involved in the enlistment of, of uh, volunteers. You know Many of them were signed up through a network of recruiting offices in Brooklyn.
2: Hmm.
1: Uh, the guy in charge was a Palestinian clerk named Abdullah Azam who founded Maktab a Kidamat, MAK which was also known as the afghan service bureau in 1984 and this was ultimately to raise money and recruit for for jihad all right let me get this
0: straight so cia uh was signing people up to be to be jihadists or to donate to jihadists
1: so they were working through intermediaries to do that. So it wasn't okay. like the CIA would go like, "Hey, do you want to go fight in the jihad?"-huh They'd be working through you know basically operatives or agents through uh, Pakistan and Saudi I, okay. Arabia. <laughs> but <laughs> okay. along with, along with these anti you know with these pro-jihad groups such as MAK, which mm-hmm. was, which their main headquarters was in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. their aim was to recruit people in the United States. They were yeah. over on Atlantic Avenue.
0: That's nuts,
1: yeah. And like, then they had another, they had another place in Long Island too, like a shooting range uh, installation where they trained people in Long Island.
0: Right, I, I know about that one. Yeah, you know that. You know about <laughs> yeah. That I know one. that about
1: that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they were called the Afghan Service Bureau, and um, um, Azam he worked with Osama bin Laden and uh, Ayman al-Zawahiri. Zawahiri. Uh, Zawahiri yeah um, by the way who so was
0: an Egypt? We're, we're, we're gonna be saying a whole lot of names uh today because there's just so many people uh involved in a lot of this and to the best of our ability we'll try to be as descriptive as possible um but yeah osama bin laden you're probably gonna remember yeah um, al-zawahiri he'll be important i
1: think later um yeah. but yeah you're just about to talk about him actually yeah so. Zawahiri, and I'm awful at pronouncing not just Arab names but English names as well. So <laughs> yeah. just I I can't pronounce any names. Um Zawahiri was in I'm like Joe Biden. That's why I have a little sympathy <laughs> for him when he mispronounces stuff. Um I'm like Dr. Steve Bruhl. You know who that is? Uh, <laughs> no. Watch Doctor Steve Bruhl videos with, with John C. Riley. I'll have to look that up later. It's they're very funny. That's what Joe Biden reminds me of. Um, so Zawahiri was in uh, Egyptian Islamic Jihad, which was responsible for the assassination of Anwar Sadat, and he was he was jailed for it. So Sadat was actually the guy who came in after uh, Nasser, so he was the president of Egypt after Nasser died. Um, he was the president of Egypt during the seventy-three war against Israel mm-hmm. um, and EIJ e- eventually merged with Al-Qaeda um, the headquarters of this operation you know was in, was in Brooklyn as I mentioned it was in called it was called the Al-Kifa Refugee Center on Atlantic Avenue which Azam visited when touring mosques and universities across the country and they i mean it, it's kind of it's really interesting to think that they recruited people right you know pretty relatively close to where we both live you know mm-hmm. yeah it's not too far away yeah i mean it's not it's
0: it's nuts that that, that just i don't know
1: i know exactly where that is mm-hmm. so um i guess in the context of the time um the jihad in the soviet union was was supported in this country during the 1980s right so you know, recruiting muslims in in the in the us was encouraged um, but as the soviets left afghanistan a dispute broke out among the afghan arabs mm-hmm. in heavy, over, qu- heavy
0: quotes on afghan arabs by the way
1: yeah the afghan it's arabs it's not like a real thing <laughs> yeah o- over the over the best Use of money that was pouring in from intelligence agencies in Saudi Arabia and religious mm-hmm. donations. So I get there was a schism within the group. Azam wanted to use the money to set up a Islamic regime in Kabul. Right. However, Bin Laden wanted to use it for really just a you know a worldwide jihad against the West. And Azam was murdered. He, yep. was, he was murdered. <laughs> Most likely, his two sons were in the car with him. He was in a car bombing. Most likely it was by Bin Laden. Um, I mean, that's what intelligence analysts uh-huh. are tend to believe. Yeah, he um, definitely he did. Bin Laden definitely did it. Sound, it. It, sound, <laughs> I mean, it sounds feasible. Yeah. Um. And within months, with the support of Bin Laden's allies like Zawahari and uh, Muhammad Atif and uh, the blind sheikh. Bin Laden takes over Azam's office network, and he starts using it as a grid for their new terror network, Al Qaeda. So that's really the the I guess the genesis of where Al Qaeda comes from. Right. Um, In Arabic, Al Qaeda means the base. The base. But essentially they're kind of I mean essentially they can they can be more they can really look at it as like a database of foreign fighters and like foreign and foreign mercenaries in the CIA's perspective mm-hmm. so I think it's fair to consider the extent to which intelligence agencies have developed a I guess a symbiotic relationship with the focus of um, with with the with the focus of uh, supporting these type these type of mercenary uh, forces across the country, and um, I'm really not a. I just want to give a disclaimer. I'm not a nine eleven expert, um, nor have I devoted a great amount of time researching nine eleven, or these events in particular. But I do know some stuff about it, so I just want to give a full disclaimer before we, we start getting you know deeper into this. Um there's was some very strange things that happened between in the nineties with this, with these terror cells that really have no explanation that I find very, um, either convincing (laughs) or, um, justifiable. Mm -hmm. So, in early 1993, so I guess the first thing is that the most notable is the, the FBI's intervention with the RCMP uh, to release um, Ali Muhammad in 93. Yeah. So in early 93, a wanted Egyptian terrorist named Assam Hafez Marzouk, who was an Ali of bin Laden in Zawahari, was arrested by the Canadian Mountie Police in an airport. Mm-hmm. Um, a second terrorist named Ali Muhammad, the primary U.S. intelligence agent for Ayman Zawahari and, and Bin Laden, came from California to the airport to meet him. And, and, and um, not finding him, he made the, I guess he made the mistake about of asking Vancouver's custom police uh, for directions. And he was, he was arrested. However, he was released two days later.
2: at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions. Supply. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more, And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Even though that so he, was, he was clearly there to smuggle a, a wanted terrorist in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't like some random schmuck. This was a plotter of the '98 U.S. Embassy attack. And the reasons why he was released, you know, to, they tend to be that he was a informant for the CIA and he was an operative in Afghanistan.
0: Yep. And I, and I think, you know, at, at this juncture, we're probably getting like, we're starting to get into specific details, right? And I think this was like a really good kind of overview of, like a like a teaser as to why we got to nine eleven, how we got there um but i think it, it we should probably peel it back and, and get into some specifics about you know like a timeline of people places and events um because the story is so fascinating and so interesting i mean i just i just finished reading a lot of peter lance's work um who was a lead investigator for this topic and and it, peter lance was one of the first journalists to suggest like criminal negligence from the fbi and uh he linked this guy yusuf uh who was a key architect of the 93 world trade center bombing to 9 11. um and this guy has done quite extensive uh research he's been on, on numerous podcasts he's written books you know he's he's, he's written plenty of articles Um, and, you know, we kind of came across, uh, some work of his that kind of laid out a a fairly good timeline of, of events. Um, now we're going to try, like, I'd like to try to, um, read through most of it and, and, and like kind of paraphrase it in a way that I think makes sense, you know, for the listeners. Cause like I said before, there's a lot of names, a lot of places, a lot of events, but the story, like if you can follow it, and I hope that we do a good job at explaining it. If you can follow it, it's fucking nuts. It's nuts. Like the the missteps, the 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 negligence is clear. Um and it's it's just kind of almost like a miracle that these that that these folks were able to pull off half the shit that they did, you know? Which is like by dumb luck in some cases and by you know, in other cases criminal negligence. They were able to pull this shit off. And it's you know, it You know, I personally feel like after doing the research and and reading this stuff, it it doesn't make me like, you know, like this anti-American, you know, person. It just gives me so much more context into, you know, how it is that something like this could have happened. You know, it's not, it's not like a crazy, weird conspiracy, you know, it's just a culmination of a lot of different factors happening all at the same time that that just kind of resulted in this, you know? And I'd like well, to, I'd like to go over a lot of those.
1: And I'm kind of allergic to 9-11 conspiracies. Yeah. i be completely honest. <laughs> yeah, same. Um, <laughs> mainly because the majority of them are about absolutely ridiculous theories about missiles hitting, hitting the Pentagon <laughs> yeah. and ho- planes that are holograms um just I mean if you wanted an
0: interesting story just read the actual one you know
1: like stories that make me kind of like not want to talk to 911 conspiracy theorists but right. to be completely honest I don't blame a lot of people for being um conspiracy
0: theorists because if you read half of this shit it makes yeah. you it makes you want to go down those rabbit holes right it makes you think like hey if the FBI were able to like just kind of either overlook this shit or totally fuck up this bad. It makes you think that maybe it was a missile or like maybe jet fuel doesn't melt steel beams or whatever the fuck the kooks are talking about, you know? Um,
1: and-, and a lot of that has to just Alex Jones. A lot <laughs> of that. Yeah, I know you kind of hijacked that movement and just made it into a theatrical play.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Right.
0: Uh, and and that's like a that's like a different thing entirely it's 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 a that's a business model right right like a lot of these conspiracy theorists are running a business and that the business only thing that like the films like body. lose
1: change got right is was a date <laughs> you know
0: <laughs> I, st- I still found it fascinating even if I don't believe everything that they said um, anyway, uh, so let, us talk, let, let, <laughs> I hate doing this, but let's go back in time again, right? Um, and let's talk about like maybe specific situations with specific people to kind of give you an introduction to, you know, um, like the timeline of events. Uh, I think we could probably get through up to the world trade center bombing. We'll see, <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I think, I think, you'll find out some pretty interesting stuff. So uh, let's start 81, right? Uh, This is pretty early on. Egyptian President uh, Anwar Sadat, he gets assassinated by these radicals, uh, loyal to the EIJ, the uh, Egyptian Islamic Jihad, which you talked about a little earlier, right? Um, One of those members uh, who was associated with the killing is this guy, this uh, army dude, Major Ali Abdel Saud Muhammad, so Ali Muhammad. Right. Which we'll call him Ali Muhammad from now on. Um, So but he had an alibi, though. He was in North Carolina doing an officer exchange program at Fort Bragg where they train Green Berets and Delta Force. uh, And that's where they get their special training. Nevertheless, though, he's implicated in that um,
1: uh, assassination.
0: Uh, Also in 81, not long after. Ali Muhammad
1: Muhammad is the guy that we were talking about, about. Uh, being let go by the FBI when he was arrested in Canada, right? And that uh, happens like he had years later. A, mm-hmm. He was in the army prior to that, but mm-hmm. uh, he had left to go fight in Afghanistan. Oh,
0: that's came. such a fucking interesting story. We'll get there for sure. Like yeah. that that part is fucking crazy. Um, all right. So uh, later in that year, uh, this guy Al Zawahari, who we also talked about for a little while. Uh, was jailed for that assassination of of Sadat, right? So the Egyptian president. Um, And then he kind of becomes the EIJ's spokesperson, right? He becomes like super popular in that group. He becomes like the de facto head of it. Um, And then in 83, just shit goes nuts in Lebanon. Um, So in April, there was a U.S. embassy attack in Beirut. Uh, We briefly hinted on this one, but it was a bombing. Killed 63 people, including 17 Americans, which... You know again, it's kind of surprising that like it wasn't bigger news uh, and that more people didn't know about this, uh, at the time. You know, in October of that same year, there was a suicide truck bomber, uh, that hit a U.S. Marine barrack and a French garrison. They killed 321 people there. I don't have the counts on how many were Americans, but it doesn't matter. 321 people died. Uh, Hezbollah takes credit for this.
1: Well, Hezbollah wasn't even a group before 1985, um, it was. The whatever precursors are yeah you know, it's people they say to become hezbollah. pre-hezbollah <laughs> yeah, pre-pre-pre-hezbollah but right um hezbollah they the ones left. there that <clears throat> but are appointed like for that. yeah totally
0: um but they also uh kidnap uh and you know subsequently torture uh the cia's beirut station chief uh william buckley uh and they eventually executed him in 85 right so lots of crazy shit happened in 83 in Lebanon um, 84 uh, we're back to Ali Muhammad from Egypt right he got booted from the Egyptian military for his radical views right apparently he was too radical for them and uh, he gets recruited by that dude Al who we talked about the EIJ guy uh, and you know to learn how to you know hijack planes that was the, the recruiting for that so Ali Muhammad then takes a job as a security advisor with Egypt Air. Mm, interest, very interesting. Uh, and then the CIA approach him and recruit him to get intel on Hezbollah after they abducted uh, Buckley, the CIA guy. right? So the CIA goes to this Ali Muhammad guy who just got kicked out of the Egyptian army for being too radical to help them get info about the situation with William Buckley in Lebanon. Right, So th- this is where it starts to get like crazy, right? Uh, and what he does is he infiltrates a mosque to get some information. Hold on, I lost myself. He infiltrates a Shiite mosque to, to get some inf- information. And then at that point, this part is super unclear, but he may or may not have blown his cover and then like cut ties with the CIA this part is unclear in general but there is some evidence later on to suggest that he definitely still had some ties with the cia uh and you'll find out in a minute but so yeah this is when you know the 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 american you know um uh, agency the cia starts to like invest i want to i want to use the word invest invest in like these these um kind of radicals in in the region specifically ali ali muhammad um So, 85, the year after this, Ali Muhammad travels from Athens to to JFK. And this is despite the fact that he's on a watch list, right? And he goes by undetected. uh, And this is kind of one of the big arguments uh, for uh, whether or not he still had ties to the CIA. Like, how the hell did he get into the country if he was on a watch list without, like, some help? Um, But he meets and marries his wife on that flight. And her name is Linda Lee Sanchez, right? It's a pretty interesting story. Um, this part is going to get a little weird uh, because we're not going to talk about this guy for a little while. But I, I want you to know about this dude, Ronnie Buka. He's an American. He's a firefighter from New York. Um, he in in '86 he ends up falling five stories to try to rescue someone in the west in a West Side tenement. He ended up breaking his back. Uh, but he was tough as fucking nails. He's a Green Beret paratrooper. And he eventually makes it back to the same, like, special unit of the FDNY within a year. We're going we're gonna to hold him off to the side because he's, he's, he's important for later. Um, but, uh, 86, same year, Ali Muhammad, he moves to his wife's place in Santa Clara, California. Uh, and he recruits this dude, Khalid Dahab, who's an, a, form, a former, like, Egyptian medical student uh, who was on a student visa. And together they set up this, like, sleeper cell of at least 10 Islamic radicals. Um, So Dahab uses his place as an Al-Qaeda communications hub, and they, (laughs) this is a funny uh, story, they call Muhammad Ali the American. Like, that was his nickname. Um, So he's got his little sleeper cell in Santa Clara, uh, California, uh, and then same year, Ali Muhammad enlists in the U.S. Army in Oakland. So I'm going to stop and say that again. He enlists in the army and gets in. And then he does basic training and gets moved to the JFK Special Warfare Center at Fort Bragg. How the fuck? (laughs) This guy was on a watch list when he came into the country. And then he marries some American. And then obviously, maybe they didn't know that he was setting up a sleeper cell at the time, but he certainly was on a watch list and we let him into the military. And then we let him into what, you know, the JFK... uh, um, uh, 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 special Warfare Center at Fort Bragg is like that's it's not an elite unit or anything like that, but it's certainly not you know fucking janitor at you know Arby's.
1: I wonder if their justification was that he spoke Arabic. <sighs> Maybe,
0: but like they—I think... mean,
1: on paper, justification, not the real justification. <laughs> no, but, I, like, I, I know, I Arabic know, Arabic speakers, because to this day, like, I don't think there's too many Arabic speakers who to this day who are in the military, right?
0: uh i wouldn't say that i feel like it's probably much more prominent now than ever before um not only just native speakers but um non-native like people who learn it um i i don't want to say that for sure i don't have an actual at the the time at the time probably not no no, yeah at at the the time probably not so yeah maybe just because he spoke arabic but the fact remains it's like dude why how did they how did he get into the military in the first place let alone that shit, don't they do background checks? Like, that That part kind of, like, blew my mind just a little bit. But kind of moving along, um, going away from the United States and Afghanistan, now we're talking about, like, you know, the uh, Operation Cyclone that we started the show with, right? Uh, Mujahideen are, you know, um, basically fighting against the Soviets there, and they had been doing that since 79, uh, and I think you mentioned already
1: but the CIA it's sent three, $3 billion dollars in yep. covert aid yeah, um, exactly. for the rebels Saudi yeah. Arabia is matching every single dollar spent as well mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so there is there's also religious donations going in there as well right. from like a whole lot of fucking ordinary, ordinary yeah. Muslims yeah. so you have a sh- that's a cash cow right so
0: like literally everybody that, everybody's yeah, trying yeah. to get in on that on that action and this is when Osama bin Laden pops up right followed by also al-Zawahiri Remember that dude, the dude from the uh, EIJ, the Egyptian um, Islamic Jihad, uh, and the dude who was, you know, associated with killing um, uh, the, the president um, of Egypt, the dude who is also related to this guy, Ali Muhammad, who is now in the United States in the U.S. military. All right, right. So the web is growing, right? It's It's nuts. Uh, So between 87 and 89, Ali Muhammad is at Fort Bragg, and he's not like anything special. He was working as a supply sergeant. He didn't have any special clearances or anything like that, but somehow he's able to get his hands on top secret intel, and this part is crazy, including a list of the locations of special forces and Navy SEALs worldwide. That's kind of a big deal. Like, how does this dude get his hands on this?
1: Nobody really knows. It is very strange.
0: But like that's bad. That's like very, very fucking bad, right? Like you're not supposed to that's top secret intel. Like we that's national security risk. That's bad. Bad, bad, bad.
1: Right? So, but and that, that'll pop up later too. But that's the, the kind of information that you're like desperately shredding. Right. You don't want to get caught during, with that shit during like a riot. Like we need to shred to all these Right.
0: No. Like this is bad. That'll pop up again too, right? The the top secret intel that he has. This will come up later. Um, so, uh, eighty eight. Were the eighties
1: everyone just doing coke all day?
0: I think so. Honestly, I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. I I honestly don't know what happened.
1: So eighty eight. You're out. Between I this born. and Iran <laughs> Contra, it's just everyone snorting coke and just giving money to dude. Violent like mercenaries uh, I don't know.
0: They had really bad ideas. <laughs> Cocaine is a hell of a drug, <laughs> as as, uh, as is said. Um, all right, so 88, year I was born, um, during uh, Operation Bright Star, which was a U.S.-Egyptian uh, war game exercise. They do it, I think, twice a year. I don't know if they still do this or not. Uh, Ali Muhammad, he gets, like, doxed as a radical Islamist sympathizer by the Egyptian military officers. And Ali Muhammad is there. He's like there doing the joint operation and he gets he ends up getting sent home to Fort Bragg and it was kind of a bit of a scandal. Like they almost had to stop the entire operation. Like the the entire military exercise was jeopardized because of this. Right? And it was nuts. They sent him home but like after they sent him home to Fort Bragg, nothing happened. Right? He wasn't in trouble or anything like that. And he goes on to make these training videos for the JFK Special Warfare uh, Center. So it's like he was on a watch list. He married some American. He sets us up a sleeper cell, but we don't, that's, it's unclear whether or not people actually knew about that at the time. But like, that's just kind of side information. He gets into the uh, uh, military. He goes to Fort Bragg. He goes to the JFK Special Warfare Center, which is, you know, pretty prestigious. Um, He gets his hands on some uh, uh, top secret intel, also, still unclear if we if people knew about this at the time. Just interesting information. He goes and does Operation Bright Star, which is the U.S.-Egyptian war game, together. And the Egyptian side is like, yo, that guy is a, you know, he's an Islamist, right? He's not cool. And then they send him back home and they still have him do training videos. It's like, there are multiple, like, red flags that are going off on here. And the fact that he just keeps, like, skirting by with nothing not so much as like like an eyebrow raise is kind of nuts to me i mean what do you feel how do you
1: feel about that so far it's it's really hard to um conceive without like you know i feel like you and i both try to be abide by kind of an occam Occam occam's razor razor, what is the easiest answer right what's what's the easiest answer and like the easiest answer is that this guy was a protected asset and yeah. he was being protected like that is the only way that you can really explain all this that he was a, a he was a protected informant slash cia uh, operative mm-hmm. or agent um who was protected who was I mean they, they needed him at one sides. point.
0: They needed him at one point, right, which was to get information about that CIA dude that got um, abducted in in Lebanon, right? So, but like where was his usefulness thereafter, right? I'm just not certain, right? Um but I think your your explanation that he could have potentially been a CIA asset still to that at, by that time
1: it, it holds a lot of water when i tell you this next part which is nuts well once you're a cia asset like aren't C- you always a cia asset i don't, that I, don't know.
0: I don't know how that works I don't, I don't know how that
1: works to be honest once you once you sleep with the devil um, you have devil herpes for the rest of your life is that how the saying goes i, I don't know i just made that up
0: <laughs> uh, you have devil crabs <laughs> devil crabs all right so devil crabs. Th- so this is the crazy part and and you kind of mentioned it earlier on. This is the, this is a nuts story. So, Ali M, Ali Muhammad, he has been skirting all of these crazy things and you know, not so much as an eyebrow is being raised. So, one day in 88, Ali Muhammad tells his commanding officer at Fort Bragg that he wants to use his vacation time to go fight with the Mujahideen in in Afghanistan. He's like, "Hey, CO, by the way, is Lieutenant Colonel Anderson, he had a fit about it like dude was like very angry that that's what he wanted to go spend his time doing but like here's what I don't understand he he told his commanding officer that he was going to fight with the Mujahideen against the Soviets he was he, he and and this is after being doxxed as an Islamist like a radical Islamist by the Egyptian um, officers is after that not before or during it's um and then he goes hey why not go to
1: afghanistan for a vacation like hey um picking a vacation destination um i just want a place <laughs> that is sunny that has beautiful mountains i'll admit big mountain person I like and hiking also, <laughs> uh, a place that is engaged in a brutal war <laughs>
0: but like that, that's what he that's what he wanted to do spending his time on his vacation and he told his lieutenant commander he, he told the chain of command that that's what he was gonna do it wasn't a secret right he didn't go and do it like for fun or like on covert level he told them that's what i'm gonna go do after he was already outed as a radical islamist islamist
1: well i mean and when did rambo come out i don't remember rambo three I don't remember.
0: Now, I know that, like, you know, we were praising the Mujahideen at the time in the media. And I know why you're bringing up Rambo 3, because at the end it was like, you know, this is dedicated to the brave Mujahideen, blah, 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 in Afghanistan. I get it. I understand.
1: But it's... 1988. 1988 so, eighty-eight, same year. At that time, Same, same year, Yeah. It's a big, big movie. It, it really glorified it. So, yeah. I mean... Back in the context of, of the eighties, it was um it was uh very different to want to go fight in Afghanistan as opposed to like, hey, I'm gonna go to Syria to fight with the rebels. <laughs> now they're not allowed back in a country. Right. Like, whatever country they left from, like people who went to go fight in Syria with, with the rebels, right. They try to get back and they're like, Nope. Well sorry. that's 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 you the lens that
0: that's the lens that I'm viewing this from, right? The lens that I'm viewing this from is like imagine if today You know somebody like this who was on a watch list you know came into the country didn't get in trouble and then married somebody and then joined the military somehow and then got to some somewhat elite you know unit at Fort Bragg and then in a military exercise with a foreign country got outed as a radical Islamist and then after the fact says I'd like to go to Syria to um to fight with the moderate rebels. Like, doesn't this raise some flags? Like, isn't this, like, a bit of a problem? Isn't this a little weird? You know? Apparently it wasn't in the 80s. That that wasn't a thing. It's a fucking different time. Um, anyway, so he goes to Afghanistan to fight with the Mujahideen. And uh, he comes back with some trophies. He Apparently he killed some Spetsnaz, Spetsnaz Special Forces commandos. Uh, and, like, took home their belts as trophies. Uh, we don't know if that's true or not, but whatever, it's an interesting story. Okay, so Ali M. goes to Fort Bragg uh, afterwards to train some, uh, he he goes away from Fort Bragg to train some Al-Qaeda folks who eventually end up doing the 93 World Trade Center bombing. This is like I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Um, But the FBI at this point started observing him, and they observed him and three others doing trainings uh, at that gun range that we were talking about before in Long Island. Right? And I think something about, like, thousands of rounds were shot over successive weekends at this one gun range. And the FBI were watching them. They didn't do anything about it, but they were watching them, you know? Um, What else happens? Okay, November 89... Uh, this is when the Soviets leave Afghanistan. Uh, and then we're coming back to that story that you were talking about before about the Afghan Arabs that were fighting over like all of the foreign money, right? And then bin Laden does some shady shit. He did a car bombing <laughs> uh, to take you know control of the situation and you know take over the money. So now bin Laden's posted up in Afghanistan. He's got a ton of money, a ton of foreign money. Uh, and he basically has his like dream. He's going to use the money to do, you know, global terror or whatever global jihad they call it um okay so new guy new guy abdul basit and he later names himself ramzi Youssef. this is the yousef that we were talking about right in the beginning of this uh rant so he graduates school in the uk and then he goes to pakistan to learn how to be a jihadist in in an al-qaeda training camp and he studies bomb making. That's that was his major, apparently.
1: Ramsey used to have his importance. so remember this Super guy. Super important, right? So this this guy's um, interesting. Um, okay, so and apparently he is in jail with, in the same block as um, the Unabomber, along with Timothy McVeigh.
0: Mm-hmm. Did we hear that? Yeah, I did hear that. It wasn't in this timeline, but I did hear that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting yeah. shit. <laughs> Interesting, interesting shit. Maybe they crossed paths. Maybe they talked, traded notes, I don't know. Um, all right, uh, another new guy, right, 1990. Uh, Sheikh Rahman, this is the blind Sheikh guy, right? Uh, he gets into the US uh, with the CIA's help this time, even though he's he's also on a watch list. And he gets picked up by one of those bros. This guy's name is Abu Halima. I might bring his name up again later. Um, But he was one of those guys that were hanging out with Ali Muhammad in Long Island at that shooting range, right? Um, So Blind Shake gets picked up by one of the terrorists that did the 93 World Trade Center bombing. Of course, they hadn't done that yet, but um, they will eventually. And then in 1990, another one of those guys from the shooting range, Nosire. I don't know if I'll mention his name again, uh, but he ends up murdering a rabbi, right? Um, Shoots one. Uh, and uh, Rabbi
1: uh, Meir, uh Rabbi, Kahane. I'm not sure that that's exactly how you pronounce it, but yeah. he was a very radical rabbi. Right. Um. He was kind of like the the adjacent Kahane to or something like that. Mayer Kahane, 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 something like um, that. He was kind of like the adjacent to, um, what the Bin Ladenites were like super 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 hardcore hardcore right-wing Zionist type uh, mm-hmm. okay. uh, rabbi so,
0: so diametrically opposed in that respect to yeah you know these these uh these Islamists um yeah so so uh Noser, which is one of the four dudes who was at the shooting range with Ali Muhammad right uh, he ends up killing this rabbi big story crazy story um and uh, Abu halima, Uh, that guy from before who picked up the blind shake at the airport he plays the getaway driver uh, in this whole plot and then like I feel feel like it was like a couple days later or like a week later the FBI ends up raiding No house in New Jersey and they find a ton of shit Right among them they find bomb recipes some like threatening notes against the World Trade Center in Arabic and Ali Muhammad's top secret memos that he stole from Fort Bragg. Remember the ones where he had the locations of all the special forces? They find them in No Sayre's house in New Jersey. So now they know. Or maybe they know. I don't know. But they found him. That's what they found.
1: They found a whole lot of shit suggesting Mm -hmm. how guilty he was. Very fucking guilty, right? Uh, And... Very, very, very nothing, gifted. nothing, and legitimate threats, right? That were warranted threats. And you know what? When, we, when we when we start talking about the first World Trade Center bombing, right? Um, I don't know if you want to jump ahead and, and talk about what they were planning on doing, or you, or if you want to save that for later.
0: Let's save it. Yeah, let's save it. Okay. Um. So. Oh. Abu Halima the getaway driver also the guy one of the guys that were at the um, shooting range with uh, Ali Muhammad uh, they pick him up right they arrest him as well as like another another guy that was uh, involved Um, but they they arrested him as evidence as material evidence but then they let him go just just like that I don't I don't know why it wasn't clear from my research why Um, but they let him go Uh, prime suspect or at least you know relevant to the case. Anyway, uh, so now now we can talk about this other dude, new new guy, American guy this time, NYPD detective Lou Napoli. Uh, so he he basically follows up on some documents that were seized in the raid that was linking Nosair uh, to an ex cop that. Uh, engaged in weapons training with Ali Muhammad's sleeper cell right at that gun range. And in that case, he finds out that there were these Middle Eastern men firing thousands of of rounds at a gun range over several weekends. This is the same situation the FBI was already like monitoring. And now the FBI, and now the NYPD is is, um, catching wind, so to speak, of this. Um, this gets, this gets interesting. So, um, no, sir. Uh, we end up finding out that, uh, he, he's
1: the, he's the guy who killed, um, they killed the,
0: the, exactly. They killed the rabbi. We find out that he has a mailbox at Sphinx Trading, which was a check cashing place, uh, in Jersey city, uh, which was conveniently just a couple doors down from the mosque where, uh, Sheikh Omar Abdel Rahman, so that the blind Sheikh, um, goes uh like he he what do they do they preach there um uh, where they give services there um and uh and where they actually found videos of ali muhammad uh in fort bragg um like relating them to this those cell men those sleeper cell members uh behind that 1993 uh world trade center bombing so they find this like link to this business this mailbox there um and then at this point there's a bit of a power struggle between uh the blind Sheikh Sheikh ramen and um Shiabi this um how do I explain I forgot to talk about this guy as well <laughs> um it, it, Mustafa Shalibi which is Abdullah uh, Azam's hand picked man uh his hand picked imam who ran that um that mm, mosque uh Jesus, I'm starting to lose myself a little bit here. He ran the mosque. Um, he was a part of the
1: He was the Palestinian cleric who wanted to who was more focused thank, on thank you. <laughs> running the setting up a a, a uh, Islamic state in Afghanistan and not necessarily going on a global jihad type thing. Um, so there was a, an additional schism there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With his with his successor.
0: Right. So Ali 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 um, Muhammad, he drives uh, Shalibi's wife to the airport um, as Mustafa tries to like escape to go back home to Cairo but he never makes it so uh, Shalibi was found dead um, shot stabbed and bludgeoned with a baseball bat um, you know in in Brooklyn in his Brooklyn house um, remember the guy Abu Halima the one who played the getaway driver. Uh, for the shooting, and also was at the gun range with Ali Muhammad. Um, you know, he IDs the body for the NYPD, but he never gets charged. Again, this guy just gets let off really easily. Um, and uh, they found a voice recording uh, of um, uh, Wahid El Haag, uh, who is another uh, one of these dudes um, who was a, Le- a Lebanese Christian convert to Islam. He, he, was end, he ended up on Shalibi's answering machine. There was thousands of dollars um, uh, in funds missing from the crime scene. And basically, Ali Muhammad, like, he got rid of the evidence somehow. And the murder uh, of this guy in the 61st Precinct is still unsolved.
1: I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times.
0: The murder of uh Shah, Shalabi. Shalibi Shalabi in Brooklyn. Still don't know what happened there.
1: I, I really I really wonder what happened. It's like another
0: murder story that they're all involved in and they all somehow managed to get out of, right? And that's this is the this is nuts. It's nuts that
1: they're involved in so many of these things. You know what they are? It's just they're an organized crime group. Yeah. Like, that's what they are. They're just, this is an organized crime group that is that is profiting off the funds that were uh, created for this massive intelligence operation and they're fighting for the loot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, speaking of the loot,
0: right, if we're talking about all this money, this, this is where Osama bin Laden comes in again. And this is where we're starting to see this link Uh, between Osama bin Laden and Ali Muhammad this dude that we've been talking about for quite some time now Um, so he chooses Ali Muhammad to handle the security um, for his like move uh, from Afghanistan to Sudan Um, and he has 25 fucking wives and a bunch of children and shit like that Um, and so Zawahiri uh, and Muhammad Atef and um, the Al-Qaeda Shura Council make the move under Muhammad Ali's supervision along with like a bunch of Afghan Arabs that were loyal to Al Qaeda. So now Muhammad Ali, uh, Ali Muhammad Ali, Ali Muhammad uh, is working directly for and with Osama bin Laden. And uh, co- conveniently, uh, Nosair, dude who shot the rabbi from before, uh, his cousin gets like 20k from bin Laden for Nosair's defense lawyer. Right, so he starts wiring him some money. And the FBI later admits that this is the first time that bin Laden's name comes up in association with um, one of these New York cell members that surround themselves around the blind shake. So 1991. Now Osama bin Laden's name pops up on the FBI's radar.
1: Because before that, he was... Uh, he
0: was just like the, the fucking guy in Mahajdean. He was
1: just he yeah, he was just he was the, the, freedom the nephew. Fighter. Right. He was the he was the nephew of the real estate mogul. And I mean that was a bin Laden family. The Bin Laden family was like a billionaire family. Right. He's it's rich. like the son of it's like the son of Jeff Bezos. <laughs> yeah. Became like this crazy radical. Right. Like out of nowhere.
0: Um so now now we can kind of turn our attention away from some of the Players, um, you know the Middle Eastern players, and kind of like like start looking at some like internal, like American players.
1: And something to add, something to add about Bin Laden Mm -hmm. around this time. So during the Gulf, so when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, um, you know the Saudi Arabia was um, very nervous that Iraq was going to cross the border and take their oil fields. What, um, what Bin Laden actually suggested to to you know the Security Council over there, he suggested that they do another kind of uh, like Afghan war style thing in Kuwait against Saddam Hussein's army. That's what he wanted to do, mm-hmm. and they laughed at his face. They're like, <laughs> why would we? Why would do we that? do that? <laughs> yeah. Why would we do that when we can just get America? to go and annihilate them Mm -hmm. and I mean that led to U.S. soldiers um, in and near the holy cities of Mecca and Medina which was used as one of the justifications for these uh, you know for 9-11 by Osama bin Laden himself so I just wanted to add that yeah
0: yeah for sure um Okay, so let's talk a little bit about like a kind of like an, uh, some American players and like how um, how weak this is like that criminal negligence or like just uh, honestly fuck-ups um, on our side, which kind of allows a lot of this crazy shit to go down either unnoticed or just like with a blind eye. So ninety one, we got this like special agent um, Nancy Floyd. Uh, she recruits an uh, ex-Egyptian army major, uh, Imad Salem, uh, to basically infiltrate the blind sheikh cell, right? And they actually pay him 500 bucks a week um, by the Bureau, which, thinking back on it, is that a lot of money? I wonder. Is that enough money to risk your life? I probably wouldn't do it. 500 bucks a week? What do you think?
1: Well, a lot of these guys who come from the Middle East, they're they're like engineers and they're, they become like truck drivers. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's hard for them to get work. Yeah. So $500 a week is probably a fair amount of money. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess like the deal that he does,
0: you know, was some like less dangerous because uh, he was just going to act as an asset, like a just straight up intelligence asset. He says that he's not going to wear a wire and he's not going to testify. And that was like the terms of the deal. Um, so we'll remember this because it, it, it gets pretty interesting. So Nancy Floyd, that's the FBI agent that recruits him, and uh, Ahmad Salem, the guy, the ex-egyptian army major who uh, is being paid to infiltrate the blind sheikh's, um sleeper cell. Okay, different story happening at the same t- around the same time. Um, so we have Ali Muhammad living in Santa Clara uh, and you know, um, basically, He's now uh, opened up as an informant to the FBI in their San Francisco office, right? And he gets like a handler, right? And this guy's name is uh, Agent John Zent, who is a 21-year Bureau veteran, right? Um, But within a couple of months of, you know, taking on uh, Ali Muhammad as like as an informant, as a source, uh, this guy Zent ends up like smack dab in the middle of a triple murder case, he becomes the primary alibi witness for this uh, for this lady, Dana Ewell, um, who was suspected um, by the Sheriff's Department in Fresno County of conspiring to kill uh, his father, uh, Dale, uh, and his sister, uh, Tiffany, and his mother, Glee, uh, so that he can get some inheritance money. They had like over $8 million estate. Um, and uh, the daughter of Agent Zent, Monica, was... Uh, Dana, the suspected killer's fiance. So, this guy, John Zent, right, is supposed to be handling Ali Muhammad and in the middle of this a fucking triple homicide case pops up where he is a key alibi. And it you can imagine this is a multi-year investigation and it takes up a whole lot of John Zent's time and attention. And he's basically not monitoring an Al-Qaeda spy this whole time.
1: So there's that. <laughs> That's just nuts. That's like dumb luck. You know, like the yeah.
0: like the fact that that shit could go I'm down. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to side. like,
1: I'm trying to like think of a way to, um, I'm trying to. Analogize it. <clears throat> And yeah, I'm trying to find a way how that isn't luck. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. It's just dumb luck, but also
0: dumb, you know, really dumb. Uh, Oh, different story that might be relevant for later. Um, no, that year, uh, Yusef, the, the bomb making guy, the important one that we want to talk about a little bit more, his, uh, one of his friends, old friends, um, Abdul Hakim Murad. He ends up training at uh, US flight schools in Texas, New York, North Carolina, and California. He gets his commercial pilot license and also starts surveying the World Trade Center as a possible target. This is important for later. I, I think you can imagine why. Um, and then same year, uh, Nosert, dude who shot uh, Kahane, the, the rabbi, uh, gets convicted of that shooting and he's sent to Attica. Um, meanwhile, Nancy Floyd, remember the FBI uh, agent who uh, enlisted Salem to be, you know, um, to, to get into uh, the blind sheikh's sleeper cell? They start getting super close uh, to, to, the bl- to the blind sheikh. Um, and basically, um, Salem learns that uh, the, the sheikh is the leader of al Gama is—Jesus, let me read this harder— Al-Gama Islamiya, or IG, which is an Egyptian terror group that tried to assassinate Mubarak, Hosni Mubarak, the then president, uh, in 1990. And uh, as soon as the FBI discovers that um, that you know, Nosair is also an IG member, right? So the blind Sheikh is this is a terrorist. Nosair is a terrorist, and we have evidence from multiple different places that they are. In fact terrorists but they lock up no sir and they send him away um okay different guy still relevant but different guy um this guy's name is rafai right uh, ahmed amin rafai who is also an egyptian he was working as an fdny or uh, you know fire department accountant he basically obtains the blueprints for the world trade center uh and why that's relevant is because this guy Worships at the Al Farouk and Al Salam mosques, which is where the blind sheikh was um, preaching. So there's a link there, right? Okay, now we have people who are studying to make bombs. We got people who are learning to fly planes and, and surveying the World Trade Center as a target. We got direct uh, evidence that these people are, in fact, terrorists that try to assassinate people. And we now know that they've gotten their hands on. Uh, top secret information about where special forces are all over the world and now blueprints for the World Trade Center. So shit is starting to
1: bubble up. Where is the moment where <sighs> there's a warrant out for these arrests? I like, seriously, that's what I'm thinking. Where it's is like, the moment the fuck is where this? is the moment? Like all right, so you have you have them there is so much evidence suggesting that they're about to that they are planning on on committing a terrorist attack. Mm-hmm. Like where is the warrant? I
0: I don't know. Like, I honestly do not know and it doesn't come. That's the problem, right? It just doesn't come. So, remember Nancy Floyd, the FBI agent who enlisted the, the guy, Salem, to try to like, you know, uh, embed himself into the Blind Shake's cell? Well, uh, you know, we know that Salem was operating without a wire uh, and he he's having trouble uh, kind of contacting uh, uh, one of his partners uh, in the Joint Terrorist Task Force in the NYPD, the de- that detective, Lou Napoli. Um, so basically, uh, they have to go through an agent of the Russian branch of the FBI's NY office to work double time to debrief the Egyptian, right? So they're like, they're, they're using Anticef, who is this, the agent in question. Um, as a proxy to get the information around. And then Salem starts getting deeper and deeper into this bombing plot that they're building, right? And then this new dude, new guy, American guy, Carson Dunbar, ex-NJ state trooper. He's an, uh, basically, he then became the FBI special um, special agent, assistant special agent. And he was in charge of that office. Uh, takes over the entire terrorism branch. And uh in a meeting with Antisev, the the gru branch guy uh basically says that (laughs) this part's funny she says that nancy floyd is a bitch right quote unquote Uh, and uh says he wants to get her kicked off of the uh solemn uh uh, job the solemn investigation um which he does effectively um he basically tells solemn you have to get closer to them he demands that he wear a wire and that he testify in court but, but like that wasn't part of the deal for Salim, right? Salim was trying to embed himself in there, and his deal was that he would be a informant, but not a like a witness, if you will, right? He's not going to testify. He's not going to wear a wire. Um, and this dude Carson Dunbar comes on the scene, and he's just like bull in a china shop, wrecks the entire operation, and ultimately Salim pulls out, right? And so for the next three months. They have no the FBI has no assets inside of the sleeper cell
1: for this whole bomb conspiracy so they lose their so they lose their one ass they have solemn right um, because they're trying to get in the wear a wire and he doesn't want to and now what now what happens? Now there is a very realistic uh, high threat level on the World Trade Center. Right. Because everything is pointed towards the and World we are, Trade Center and at this point.
0: Exactly. And we already know this, right? We know this because they, when when NOSER got um, raided by the FBI uh, after he killed the, the rabbi, they found those threatening notes. They found the bomb-making recipes. They now know that all of these people are fucking terrorists, right? Uh, they They know. Like, they know. I don't know if it's, like, enough evidence to, like, bring to court and, like, arrest them and shit like that. But the point, though, is that they know. And and they fuck some shit up. Like, I think that Dunbar guy, the guy that took over the solemn investigation, he basically, like, here's my take on it. I think he was trying to get, um, uh, uh, I, I, I don't think he was such a fuck up. I just think he made a misstep here. I think he was... Hot-headed, and he wanted to get, like, smoking gun evidence that they were planning on doing this attack so that, they, so that they can go ahead and get the warrant to arrest him. I think that's what happened. But, like, I think there was a bit of sexism involved, right? In the sense that he didn't trust Nancy uh, to do her job, right? And to get the intel that they needed. And I think he kind of wanted to, you know, make quick work of it, right? And as a result... He fucked that operation up and then now they lost their informant on the inside and, and a lot of this has you know, like kind of allows us to Allows these these terrorists to do what they were gonna do So after Salim leaves that bomb plot thing um, the blind shape uh, he gets on the phone with Pakistan and he talks to uh, uh, Yusef, and Yusef comes over uh, and he arrives in JFK again. Dude's on a watch list. I have no idea how he's coming and going super easily. With Yousef, there's this other guy. His name is Mohammed Ajaj. Aj- Ajaj. I don't know how to pronounce that. And Faja. Fajaj. Fajaj. Um, so that dude Ajaj was carrying multiple passports and bomb books, and he gets arrested, and um, they throw him in you know in jail. But Yousef. He gets away because he get, he's given a, a hearing for asylum and they let him go on an asylum hearing. So again, dude's on a watch list, dude comes over with another guy who has bomb shit and multiple passports.
1: I bet terrorists, I bet terrorists in Guantanamo Bay right now are like, man, I wish it was the 80s, 90s, 90s. you know, <laughs> the early 90s, you know, early 90s. Seriously like these guys are are like man I miss it when we were working directly with the CIA all the time yeah
0: (laughs) Jesus All right. so 92 in the fall uh, Ali Muhammad's uh, you know trainees right they all get together in New Jersey Yousef builds this bomb they're in Jersey City by the way Um, this other dude who we we didn't really talk too much about uh, Nidal Ayad, he supplies chemicals Um, this other dude that we didn't talk about Muhammad Saleh helps you know like build it Put it together um, and Abu Halima remember the uh, the getaway driver guy he does some reconnaissance um, and, you know runs over to the World Trade Center to kind of set up how they're gonna do it um, two of those guys end up setting up some bank accounts there are thousands of dollars that end up getting wired to the Middle East from the Middle East to these bank accounts and during this period the FBI seriously misses multiple chances to you know stop this plot right? There's like money coming in. There's people who are. Yusef is involved. Who just came over with another guy who is carrying bomb plans. Like so many opportunities that they had, and they kept fucking it up. Um, and and basically, uh, at this point, uh, Nancy Floyd again and Salem, you know, they are like begging, um, Lou Napoli, the NYPD guy, and Antisev, the uh, the Russian FBI dude, um, uh, to please keep watching Abu Halima and Salome, the two guys that we were talking about before. Cause they're saying like, hey, this is a problem. They're gonna, some shit's gonna go down. Um, but basically Floyd got kicked off of that job and and removed from any terrorist investigative work, period. Like she's no longer allowed to do any kind of investigative work for, for
1: terrorism. She was later smeared too. Right. She was there, <clears throat> she was smeared, uh, by Dunbar. I think she, among was, I think she was investigated mm-hmm. for for having a sexual affair with Salim, which is pu- most likely I mean, false.
0: I mean, let, let's be real. If that was true, it wouldn't surprise me, but I think it was mostly a smear because they fucked up. Because Dunbar fucked up. Because Dunbar tried to swing his dick around, try to like like jump the gun, so to speak, and and get the evidence early and as a result burned his only mole his only inside guy you know and you know he obviously didn't like floyd from the beginning he called her a bitch, like he's, he's uh notably said in that so there's like motives for him to do that I, honestly toxic masculinity all over the place in this in this particular part of the story
1: that, there you have it that's what caused 9-11 toxic, toxic masculinity,
0: masculinity.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: um so November 1992 up until the bombing in February 1993, uh, Yusuf and uh, the rest of the dudes in the in the um, this is an, uh, just another like face palming like over and over and over again. Yusuf and the rest of the, the dudes in the sleeper cell are like super visible. like they're not being quiet at all. Uh, Salome one of those one of those dudes, he gets into three car accidents. Yusuf gets hospitalized, and uh, he uses a stolen phone card to order chemicals. He runs up like an eighteen thousand dollar bill in phone charges, and and gets recorded by an ATM machine camera. Uh, he's constantly talking to Ajaj. Ajaj, remember that guy who he flew in with that had Fajar, the bomb? Fajar. Fajaj. He starts. He's regularly talking to this dude who is in prison who got caught with all those passports and the bomb plans and stuff. Um, but the FBI keep missing. You know, uh, missing the opportunity to monitor uh, like his phone calls with Ajaj because they start doing it on three-way with a Texas burger restaurant, right? So basically, um, Youssef calls a Texas burger restaurant, Texas burger restaurant calls the um, the prison, and then that makes it harder for them to track it. But like, still, he had multiple phone calls with this guy, you know, and they missed every single opportunity. Uh, and then, um, oh, also, uh, Yousef misses his asylum, um, hearing. But they didn't, but they don't scoop him up while he builds a 1,500 pound bomb in a apartment
1: in Jersey City. It's just like, I can't even really comment. Like, I'm trying to comment on this, but. It's just so, it's such gross criminal negligence that, what the fuck? Like, that's the only words I can really use to describe this. Mm-hmm. It's like, what the fuck? What the fuck is happening here?
0: And, and, it's, and it's weird because, like, during this whole time, um... Napoli, the the NYPD guy, and and Antisev, they evidently lose track of Abu Halima and Salome, despite, like, uh, Salen and uh, Floyd telling him, like, yo, don't, like, keep watching these guys. So they end up losing
1: track of them. That's nuts. All right. So you want to get to the actual bombing? Yep. So February 26th,
0: 1993, um, basically Yusef, Abu Halima, Salome, and Ismoli, we didn't really talk about this guy, but he's involved. Uh, They load the bomb that they created into a rider truck uh, and they do a three-car convoy and they head to Brooklyn. Yusef spends the night with Salome, um, you know, and then just after noon, Yusef parks the van outside of... uh, room 107 on the B2 level uh, between the Twin Towers and at 1217 the bomb detonates and it blows a four story crater down to the B4 level Um, and uh, Monica Smith who was a pregnant secretary in room 107 is instantly killed Uh, and the blast kills five other people and injures about a thousand and causes about a half a billion dollars in damage
1: and and this is going to sound harsh but that was honestly a godsend that that happened that way because you have put the bombs in the in a incorrect place. The plan was to blow up one building so it fell into the other right. building. Mm-hmm. And instead they put it in between so, the two so it didn't do that. Mm-hmm. So if that happened if one tra- if one tower um collapsed into like tipped over into another tower that would have made you know, 9-11 seem like child's play.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It would have killed about 50,000 people. Yeah. Easily. If those buildings collapsed like fell on top of each other, right? Uh, fell on top of each other and fell on other buildings. It would have killed thousands of people. Um, it is insane. It is insane that all that ha- that all that happened basically under surveillance, and and none of these guys were were arrested. Um, so we're at an hour and a half right now. Well, and there's one last thing, and this is like yeah. that mounted police thing. The oh Canadian yeah, let's, let's let's
0: go back let's to end that. On and that. that. And
1: then, sure,
0: let's end on that. So within months of the World Trade Center bombing, um. Ali Muhammad gets nabbed by the the, the Mounties in Canada um, for trying to smuggle um, the al-Qaeda terrorist uh, Esam Marzouk, uh, into the U.S., right? And we talked about this a little bit. Um, but Muhammad says, hey, I'm working with the FBI, and he gives him John Zent's phone number. Remember John Zent, the dude who, uh, you know, was <laughs> wrapped up in a triple homicide <laughs> case for several years, right? Yeah, so That guy. So he gives him that guy's phone number, uh, and he vouches for Muhammad, uh, for Ali Muhammad, and gets him released. And months later, Muhammad is in Nairobi doing surveillance for uh, the bombing of the U.S. embassy there, and Bin Laden starts to use him uh, to target, you know, the suicide bomb uh, that would kill 224 people and injure thousands in that same year
1: yeah Ali Muhammad was doing what surveillance. He was taking pictures. that um, yep. is it is crazy. Um,
0: the, I mean that this guy is just moving freely around the world is implicated in several you know terrorist activities, you know is is just like and then and then plays the i'm a I'm working with the FBI card. and then this fucking fuck up' is like, oh yeah, yeah, he's good. he's he's with me. I'm his handler. he's, he's fine. Let him out.
1: Diplomatic immunity, right? You ever see Lethal Weapon two?
0: I have, yes.
1: I've referenced this in the in our show before. Diplomatic immunity, and then Danny Glover shoots him in the head, and <laughs> it's like it's just been revoked. <laughs>
0: um, I mean that's that's crazy. So yeah, like like you said, we are at an hour and a half, and I think um you know. While this story is crazy fascinating, I think it probably warrants a second episode um, to talk about, like yeah, the think, next part I,
1: of it. I think we should do another episode where we go over the next ten years leading up to, or next seven years. I'm I'm terrible at math. Um, leading up to the actual September 11th attack, but um, it's just it shouldn't surprise you that these groups are affiliated with intelligence agencies across the world.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't know how you could describe any of this without coming to that conclusion that these guys are being protected as assets in the CIA. Um, and it's the same thing with like groups in Syria right now or, or that we've seen since 2011, groups like the you know so all these different groups in in, in Syria that are jihadist are being covertly funded and, and sometimes overtly you know? by sometimes overtly in mm-hmm. terms of like moderate rebels right. but like covertly through um, you know Giving money to moderate rebels and then them defecting and giving money to, you know, al-Nusra, al-Qaeda. Right. So, and it's you got to wonder, like in Syria right now, the fact that, you know, there was just a car accident about two weeks ago between Russian soldiers and U.S. soldiers. Right. What are those U.S. soldiers really doing in Syria? They're serving as meat shields for the al-Qaeda guys. Because if the U.S. soldiers left everyone knows that Assad would go kill every Al-Qaeda motherfucker in that entire country. I mean he'd probably kill a whole lot of other people too in in the effort
0: to try and kill the Al-Qaeda guys, you know. But yeah you would would just absolutely open
1: up without a doubt. It is just mind blowing the relationship that intelligence agencies have, have with just these just these evil mercenary groups and we talked about this in the Iran Contra mm-hmm. episode as well I think it runs parallel to that Right, um, it happens around the same time it happens in the same time um, it's happening now and it will probably happen, happen again like if we go to war with Iran let's just say mm. if we don't it's not going to be it's in the ground it's going to be whatever group that we can foster whatever populist uh, group is whatever separatist Mm -hmm. group that we can foster Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah let's put a pen in it let's save this to for another episode uh, where we talk about the next the the, I guess the next decade and do you have anything else to say
0: no man I I just I hope that it's you know, clear for you when you know, if, if you today when this releases on Friday, if, if you happen to be thinking about nine eleven and like wondering, you know, how could this have happened, you know, I think this I hope that this gives a little bit of context uh, for it and I hope that you don't come away, you know, from this still thinking that, you know, the only reason why people attack why Islamist terrorists decided to attack us on nine eleven was because they hate our freedom, you know? it's that's way too that's so simple um and not even close to the reality the the truth is much more complicated and honestly way more fascinating
1: yeah um you're operating on at a very jv level when you say that they hate us for our our freedom right or they they are they bombed us because of radical islam you know at a at a um, very
0: rudimentary level that might be true <laughs> like at a very very rudimentary level but the truth is
1: much more complicated and and you know crazy well let's dive deeper into it yeah. um and uh for now everyone thank you for joining us for another episode of bro history um make sure that if you are listening on youtube or watching on youtube subscribe to the channel we live stream this podcast um every thursday between 9 and 10. so sometime between 9 and 10 we'll start and if you're listening on itunes uh, make sure you rate and review the podcast give it a five-star rating Um, that is the number one way to help us grow so rate and review the podcast super easy Just go to the five-star thingy, do the five-star, all the way to to the right, and then write a review. Say, hey, these guys are awesome. Um, And then anything else to add? No. All right, everyone. Peace.